Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Okay, so first of all, it's PG-13 right out of the gate uh, this morning, just a little bit. So if there's young ones in the room, this is just, that's your warning. Um, and I'll just share with you, this, this message actually is a, a message that Craig Rochelle has taught at his church. He did a five-part series. Um, we're, since Brett's gone this Sunday and next, uh, I'm just going to do two of those parts. But man, it's really good stuff. And so I thought, when I listened to it, I thought, man, our church needs to hear that. So this is my, my best attempt to, to share the heart of, of that message with you this morning. So we're calling it Save the Date. And uh, here we go. How, how many of you know that marriage can be a blessing when it's a blessing? You can raise your hand. You, you know that marriage is a, is a blessing when, it, when, it, when it's a blessing. Okay. And how many of you know that, that marriage is not a blessing when it's not a blessing? Now, don't have to raise your hand on that one. Don't elbow that person next to you. Just don't, don't, I would say don't even smile. Don't, you know, just look straight forward. Act like you don't know what Ryan's talking about. Um, Marriage is a great blessing when it is, but man, it can be painful. It, it, it can be complicated when it's not a blessing. And, and this isn't just my opinion. Scripture actually says something very close to what I just said. I'll give you some verses this morning. Proverbs 18, 22. Scripture says, The man who finds a wife finds a treasure or finds a blessing, right? Uh, and he receives favor from the Lord. Marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing. Proverbs 27, 15, however, shows us that marriage is not always a blessing. The Bible says a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Drip, 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 right? Marriage is not a blessing when it's not a blessing. And so, as to be an equal gender offender, not just offend the women in the room, 1 Ryan 4, 9 says, It is better to step in warm dog poop or pass a kidney stone than to marry a man who is a self-centered narcissistic jerk that's from the sbib version that that should be in the bible which is not really a bible verse some of you are going first ryan what i've never seen that one in my bible <laughs> marriage is a blessing when it's a blessing but man it it can be complicated and painful when it's not a blessing and so uh this two-part series we're calling save the date and and uh, I, i'll just be transparent with you i have three specific goals for us this morning uh, this, is, this is the heart of, of the, the message. Uh, my first goal is, is that if you're not married, and we're going to talk a lot more about this next week, if you're not married, um, we're going to show you that the Scripture says that singleness can actually be a gift. Singleness can, can, can be a gift, and we want to use that gift in a way that honors God. So if, if we're not married, we want to be not married in a way that honors God. If you're currently dating, my goal is to help you date in a way that honors God. And if you are currently married, my goal is very simply to help you to be married in a way that honors God. And so we're, we're, we're going to answer the very practical and specific questions that uh, many of you have or have had, maybe are, are, are asking. And so, for example, one of the, the most common questions that people ask is, well, how do I find the right person? Where do I go? What do I do? Do I go to church and, you know, scan the crowd looking for that person that's worshiping and doesn't have the, the ring on their finger? Uh, or, or do I get the app thing and do, do the swipe app? Or uh, maybe I take my Bible to, and do a devotion at the coffee shop and just leave my Bible out with the highlighters. And when the person walks by and they're like, oh, you're a Christian too. Yeah, me, me too. You want to have coffee together? And, and so it's like, well, how do, we, how do we find the right person? 
This is a question a lot of people ask, but we're going to ask a better, more important question. That when most people ask, how do I find the right person? We're going to ask, how do I become the right person? And the reason that we're going to ask it that way is that you, you don't just attract what you want, you generally attract what you are, right? That, that, that makes sense. We're, we're going to talk about that a lot next week, not today. We're, we're going to talk about that uh, next week with the three qualities that you need to develop bef- before you marry. Today, though, what we're, where we're going to go is we're going to talk about something that's a little bit more important um, to, to build a foundation on for your marriage, and we want to try to answer the question, when it comes to following Jesus as Christians, what is marriage? What is marriage? And why does this matter so much to define what marriage is? It matters so much because how you see marriage shapes how you approach your relationships, right? It's, it's incredibly important how you view marriage as a follower of Jesus because how we see marriage shapes how we a- approach uh, relationships. And the challenge is that a lot of people today simply see marriage as a contract. It's a con- marriage is a contract between two consenting adults. And many people would say, well, you know, you could go to the church and have the pastor marry you, and at the end of the ceremony, you just sign the contract, right? And, or you could go down to the courthouse and have, have the justice of the peace uh, do the ceremony, and then at the, at the end of that thing, you, you sign the contract. And you could even go to Vegas and have Elvis marry you, and at the end of that little ceremony, you would, you would sign the contract, Right? And, and people would say that marriage is very simply a contract. It's a legal agreement between two adults, two consenting adults. But according to Scripture, marriage is way, way more important than just a legal agreement. And I want to start with how Jesus defines marriage when he's, he's taking in the book of Matthew and quoting back to the very first book in the Bible in Genesis when he answers a question about marriage. So in Matthew 19, verse 4, he, he, he quotes Genesis 1 and Jesus has asked the question, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator God made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but now in God's eyes, they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Marriage is from God, it is by God, it is ordained by God, it's not just a contract because when you think, when you think about it, what, what is a contract based on? What's a contract based on? When you sign a contract, a contract is essentially, it's based on mutual distrust, right? We can't just give our word and say, I'm, I tell you, hey, I'll do that. We can't just give our word, we have to have a contract and if you sign a contract with someone who says he's gonna do work on your house, what's your contract trying to do? And what are you trying to do? And essentially when you sign a contract, you're, you're trying to protect your rights and limit your responsibilities. I want to make sure that you do what you say you're going to do. And if you perform up to the required uh, agreement, then I'm in. But if you don't keep your side of it, then I'm out. That's essentially a contract. And therefore a lot of people say, well, if marriage is only that, if it's only just a piece of paper, then why would I even bother getting married? It's a very common question, and it's a very fair question if you're defining marriage as a contract. Why would I even bother? Well, we might as well just live together, which, which again, is becoming way, way more common today, right? We all see this happening. In fact, I've, I've been married to Lori, my best friend, for 26 years now, 
And it's a blessing, I can say it's a blessing to be married to my best friend. And I'll show you this graph up here. You can see in this graph that the cohabitation rates have risen from about 8% or so in 1970 up to 70% by the year 2015. And according to the National Center for Family and Marriage Research today, 80% of teenagers, current teenagers today expect to cohabit before or if they ever get married. It, meaning 80% of those of you who ha have children in the room today uh, would think that your children think that the very natural progression of their life would be that when they, you know, when they move out, they're going to they're going to uh, they're going to move in with someone, kick the tires, take that thing for a test drive, right? Which honestly, I don't blame him. I mean, it sounds like a decent plan if marriage is just a piece of paper. You can, you can split the responsibilities and you can enjoy the benefits. You can, cut, you, know, you can cut your stuff in half and you can share your Netflix account for the glory of God, right? We're saving money on that thing. You can split the chores and you can share the bed, bunga bunga, right? It's, it's it, whatever it would be. You just, it, it, it seems to make complete sense. The problem with that is that studies show actually that cohabitation actually decreases the odds of relational success. It, it doesn't work as well as we think it would on the front end. And even, even though it, it seems to make sense, if marriage is just a contract or, or just a piece of paper, the reason it doesn't work well, researchers actually have a name for it. It's a, a big one. Researchers call it the cohabitation inertia effect. Cohabitation inertia effect. And what happens with this is that they, they, they say instead of intentionally deciding to be more, deciding to be more committed, you're, what you're doing is you're sliding into a commitment. You, you might slide into, well, hey, how about we live together? Makes sense. It's, it's going to save us some money. It's a little bit cheaper. We co-sign on the, the apartment lease, and we slide into that, and then we think, well, let's just, you know, oh, let's get the same phone plan together. We can save, again, we can save money. Um, and, and we slide into that, and somebody has a great idea. Let's get a puppy, and you're not really committed to that, but you get a puppy, and then one day, it's like, well, whose puppy is this? And, it, and then if you're not incredibly careful with that puppy turns into a baby and and suddenly you're incredibly entangled with one another and you find yourself fully entangled but not fully committed and what what that does is it increases the pressure on the relationship and you may not be fully committed to this person but you kind of feel uh, stuck in the relationship you're really invested and the moment that you start to feel stuck but not committed the that decreases the odds in that relationship and we didn't mean to get there because we're, we're good people and it kind of made sense that we, we, you know, we could save a bunch of money doing that um, and we're not really hurting anybody. And so on paper it kind of made sense, but statistically the odds go, go way down of, of you having a really great relationship. And you don't even have to move in together for this to be a thing. You can, you can just kind of do the playhouse thing where you kind of have a drawer at her house or she has a a drawer at your house, and you've got your own little toothbrush there, and you just kind of stay the night a few nights a week. And essentially, even though it doesn't seem like a very big deal in, in culture, what, what you're practically doing is you're pretending to be married. You're, you're essentially, you're practicing marriage, doing married-like things. And then when things don't go well, you break up, and then you're essentially practicing divorce. And so it's no wonder that later on, maybe when you do get married, you just see it as this, if you see it as this contractual agreement, if things don't go well, you just, you take your drawer of stuff and you go one way and they go the other. And perhaps that's why, one of the reasons why, so many marriages aren't working today. You, you, and, and, and again, I just, 
hear my heart in this. It's not meant to be judgmental at all, but how you see marriage, it profoundly shapes how you will approach your relationships. And that's why I want to try to show you today that a Christian marriage is not just a contract, but it's actually a very holy covenant before God because while a contract is based on mutual distrust, a covenant is based on a mutual commitment before a holy God. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the word that's translated covenant is the word barith, barith, and it literally means a cutting, a cutting. And it, like when you think about the New Testament, we, a testament is another word for covenant. So we could actually call the two parts of our Bible the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? And in the New Covenant, you get, there, there was a shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood on a cross for us so our sins could be forgiven. And I, I'm gonna give you a rather graphic example, and this is the reason why I said this was PG-13, because in an Old, in an old Testament wedding, in, a, in an old Hebrew wedding, they would often, what they would often do is the bride and the groom is they would stand before the priest during their ceremony. They were under this thing called a huppah, C-H-U-P-P-A-H, a huppah. And it's, it's the bridal chamber. It's, there's four posts, and then there's drapes uh, hung over the thing. And it looks really cool, really pretty. Uh, but they're, it's, it's part of the bridal chamber. And, um, and you might call it the huppah huppah, right? Because after saying their vows, they would actually go into a private room to consummate their marriage. And again, this is kind of hard to imagine, but if you could, they're at their wedding, there's a party of people, they're celebrating their wedding, and the couple goes off while everyone's still around into a private room to consummate the marriage. And there's the virgin groom would consummate the marriage with the virgin bride, and there would be a shedding of blood. And this is kind of hard to even say, but they would, they would what sometimes would happen is they would take a cloth and put some of the blood on the clean cloth, and then they, as they would exit that private room and come, out, come back out now to the family, they would take the cloth and, and wave it to the family, and, the, and the, the wedding party would celebrate where, where the two now have become united as one flesh. And what God has joined together in a holy covenant, let no one ever separate it. It's holy and it's righteous and it's this covenantal commitment before God. And they, 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 the way that they would make a covenant uh, business deal in the Old Testament is to the two parties that were going to make a business deal would take a bull and they would cut the bull in half. And now the bull is splayed on, open on the ground and you know there's blood and stuff everywhere. And the two people would take and they would go and they would walk through the, the remains of the bull seven times and, and at the end of the, they would say if we break our word in this covenantal business deal that I'm making with you if we break our word may what happened to the bull happen to us they were very serious about their business deals right but it's it, it what they were doing is it's a it's a final commitment and you know yes I promise to be faithful for the rest of my life hoopa hoopa right but and speaking of sex, since you guys brought it up, let's talk about it. It's been said that, and maybe you've heard this, it's been said that men think about sex once every seven seconds. And I, I did the math on that. That's 514 times an hour. And some of you are going, uh-huh, that, yep, that sounds about right. Uh, and it's actually not right at all. Uh, according to a very well-respected study, men think about sex about 19 times a day. Okay, so that's a lot different than seven seven like once every seven seconds, right? 19 times a day. How many times do you think women think about 
sex on a daily basis? The answer is women think about it about sex about 10 times a day. So if men think about sex 19 times a day and women are only at 10, that raises a very important question. Well, what else are women thinking about? And the answer is they're thinking about food. They, women, think about food about 15 times a day. So if you're tracking with me, just so you'll know where, where everything ranks, women think about food more than sex. And men think uh, uh, about sex more than women think about food. So that's kind of how all this comes together, which raises an incredibly important and in, in all seriousness, a real question. How do we live with sexual integrity in a culture of sexual brokenness? How do we do that? In answer to this question, we have to remember, well, it kind of depends on how you view or define marriage. Because how you see marriage, it shapes how you approach sex. So what do we know about marriage according to Scripture? Well, Scripture teaches us that a Christian marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman for life. Scripture tells us in Hebrews 13, 4, this, marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by all. Meaning if you're not married, you still honor the covenant of marriage, right? If you, are, if you are married, you honor the covenant of marriage, and the marriage bed should be kept pure. It should be undefiled. Scripture teaches us the principle that the only kind of God-honoring sex is sex within the context of marriage. And you say, well, Ryan, that doesn't leave us a whole lot of options, does it? Meaning, you know, if we're dating what is, it that we, what is it that we can do and what is it that we cannot do sexually? And that, that's the that's a, that's a very question that anyone who is a Christian should be asking. And I would, I would challenge you, if you get, leave here today and go ask your strongest Christian friend, hey friend, what is it that exactly, what exactly can we do and don't leave anything off the list? What, what, if we're dating, get, just give me everything that's legal to do before God uh, to do. I, I want to know all of it. And the truth is going to come back that the, the list then is really, really short. There, there won't be much on there because Scripture teaches this principle in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, that among you, among the church, the body of Christ, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. That's God's standard. Not even a hint this is God's standard because the gift of lovemaking is so holy. It's reserved for the intimacy of a covenant marriage. Because it's so holy, because it's so intimate, because it's so righteous, and because it's so pure, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. Okay, well, what does that mean exactly? Like, Ryan, what would be out of bounds? Well, certainly adultery is on the list, right? We can't do that. That one's pretty easy to understand. Uh, that's, that would be more than a hint. And then you would ask, well, what about premarital sex? That, that, that's actually more than a hint. That's not something we need to be doing. Well, what about, Ryan, <laughs> what, we're dating, but like, what about everything but, you know, can, is there anything else that we can do? No, that, that would actually be more than a hint. When, the standard is really high. When you take God's standard, it gets like ridiculously high. And you, you could make an argument that perhaps crude sexual jokes might be a hint of immorality. You, you might suggest that dressing immodestly or posting, you know, the guy's taking your shirt off and doing the muscle-bound, look at me, and posting that on the internet is uh, more than a hint. Or, or taking that cute little bikini, the summer pic, and posting it might be, uh, and I'm trying to pick on everybody here, okay, but it, you might think, okay, well, that might be more than a hint of immorality. 
Because Jesus is the one who said this in Matthew 5, 28. He said, and again, the, the standard is just incredibly high for us. He says, if you even just look at someone lustfully, then you're committing adultery with them in your heart. The standard is incredibly high, so high that I can, I can almost guarantee none of us in, the, in here, including me, has kept it. Revealing, and what that does is it just reveals our desperate need for Christ and our desperate need for grace. And again, hear my heart in this today. This is not about condemnation or judgment. It, 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 this is, is really more about an equal need for the forgiveness of God and the power of God to enable us to live a life that is pleasing to God. So you might say, but dang, Ryan, man, I mean, you know, I've got needs and stuff. It's like the 2020s. Come on, dude. Like, you're just so outdated and this stuff, and it seems like God is just such a prude. And I'll just am here to say God's not a prude at all. I want you to understand that God is very pro-sex. Nobody, not even a one amen out of that. God, God is pro-sex. This is crazy stuff, this church stuff. God, to, to wrap your head around, okay, God created it. I don't even know what to think about this. Um, I'm going to give you a couple Bible verses. You guys are sitting there maybe scared like, oh boy, where's he going with this? Uh, this says this in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 19. May her breast satisfy you always. And my 21-year-old son was in the, uh, in the first service, and he, 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 he continued to read that verse, and he, after service he was like, yeah, but Dad, it mentions breasts like two more times than that. It, but that's in the Bible, and may God add blessings to the reading of his word, right? And this is also in the Bible. If you, it gets better if you understand what the Shulamite woman was saying to Solomon in the book Song of Solomon. This is a book in your Bible. She said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. What do you think that means? Now, I'm no Hebrew scholar, but I looked this up in the Hebrew this week. And in the Hebrew, what this is really trying to say, literally... I will climb that tree, and I'm going to get that fruit. That's what it says in the original language. The problem for us is that sometimes unknowingly in church world, we kind of make sex out, we, we make sex out to be this bad thing, especially if we're teaching our kids. It's like, no, 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 bad, can't do it, don't do it, no, no, no. And what, we're, what comes across is we're saying, like God is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And, and, I don't, that, that's, and then when you get married, it's like, okay, now you can do it, do it, do it, do it, do it right? And, and it's like this light switch thing. And, and Pastor Craig, in his sermon, he, he made a, a little a joke out of this. He said his buddies, before his wedding, got him a gag gift where they got him some boxer shorts that had printed all over it, no, 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 no. And then when you turn the lights off, there was a glow-in-the-dark word that came up, and it said, yes, 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 right? Which that's, but that's kind of how we're, we, we kind of fall into this, that, that thinking, and we're, we're treating like it's God saying no, no, no. And what really I think is happening is God is saying, wait, 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 because this is holy and righteous, and this is a gift reserved for the covenant relationship that Scripture calls marriage. God is not some kind of prude trying to you know, keep you from physical enjoyment. He wants to protect you because he loves you. He wants to bless you with, the right, with righteous intimacy and wants to protect you from, from, honestly, from some of the emotional pain that you've maybe experienced when we didn't do it 
according to God's plan or some of the heartbreak maybe that you've experienced or some of the crushing disappointments when, when you, like me, and, I, and again, I've got my own stuff, right? When we didn't do it God's way. He's not trying to limit you. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. And he wants you to have something incredibly special. So, we've covered a lot of ground so far. I would ask this question to you. Where are you today in the context of your relationships? Let's talk about it for a moment because I would recognize that some of you right now are, are maybe you're dating and you're going, oh man, Ryan, after hearing you, maybe this relationship that we have, the way that we're doing it, is not really God-honoring. So, so what do we do? What, what I want you to know is that there is no condemnation for those that are now are in Christ Jesus, okay? So don't feel condemned. But if you feel a little something in your heart or your head saying, press pause on that, like, I, I, if you feel convicted that way, I would just say that's the loving presence of God leading you to something better. So what do you do? Well, you could together apologize to God. Like, what a great thing to go to God and say, you know what, God, together, God, we messed up. We messed up. Would you please forgive us? Would you, would you direct us? And then you let God change you. You, you, you know, you could, you could maybe stop doing something that you were doing or decide, you know, this is going to be a little maybe more expensive, a little more costly, but we got to move out. We, we want to reestablish the parameters around our relationship in a way that would honor God. Or maybe you, you're in a relationship and you realize, oh, we, we are incredibly unequally yoked. And I'm not going to stay in this relationship any longer because you're not going to settle for something less than God's best for you. And you may not be dating anybody right now, but you want to you date somebody one day and have godly relationship. And this may change how you view marriage. You may, you may now see it as, oh, it's a holy covenant between two people that, that God brings together and blesses for life. And because you see marriage as a covenant, that might change how you, how you start to approach your relationships. And so instead of doing like most other people do, you might get a little bit weird and different. And people are going to make fun of you when you have a God-honoring ma- uh, marriage. Like holy, the, the, the word literally means to be set apart. When your marriage is, is holy, it's set apart. And people might look at it and think, well, you guys... You guys are weird, but it's, that's okay. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I got a weird marriage. I don't want a normal marriage. My marriage is blessed. It's happy. I don't want normal. Normal's divorce. Normal is broken. Normal's staying together just for the kids. If you want something different, you got to take a different approach to it. And God's, God's approach is incredibly different than, than what we see out in the world today, right? You might change your approach. You might be someone who, who's, who, who lives in, Maybe you're living in sexual brokenness right now. And believe me, I've been there before I, I was a follower of Christ, and, and it, things, you know, things sound like a good plan at the time, and then emotionally and mentally you wake up wrecked. And if that's you, so what do you do there? Well, the good news is that anyone who's in Christ, Scripture says, is a new creation. The old has gone, the new comes, and you're not just made new spiritually, your emotions are renewed. I would say you can even be sexually renewed. I know of a guy who says, you know what, I'm not just a born-again Christian, I'm a born-again virgin. He says that, like, in his mind, all of the, the old brokenness that, that he was carrying around is gone, and his mind has been renewed by the power and the grace of God. And you might be, um, you might be married right now, and you're, you're going, well, 
dang, Ryan, we didn't do it right when we were dating, and you might be looking at your marriage right now and going, and we've got some work to do in our marriage going forward. So what do you do? Well, maybe the two of you just join hands and you turn to God and say, God, would you just forgive us? That's a great place to start. And you receive his forgiveness together, and you might choose maybe to go get baptized together. Go down into that watery grave, come back up cleansed, whole, a new creation in Christ. Together, you might join a life group and, and together and say, you know what, we're going to start seeking God together. You might start doing a Bible study plan at home together. You might start getting a little crazy together and praying together at home. And next thing you know, you're kissing a little bit more because you're having these intimate moments. And you just let God do a work in your marriage. Because I just want you to know, and I want you to feel it with God, that there's always a second chance and a third and a fourth chance available to you. His grace is amazing. There's no sin too great for the grace of God. And, and this is, in many ways, my story. Before I was a Christian, I just saw marriage as kind of a contract between two people. Sex was a pleasure to be enjoyed. And so I kind of dated and did, did the playhouse thing. Um, and then, and then uh, shortly after Lori and I got married, we, we started coming to church and started learning that, God, oh, wait, God's got a plan in this. Oh, crap, we did it wrong. But that's okay because grace... And then we started learning, studying the scriptures. God, you know, we, God, there's a, God wants you to view and understand scripture, a, a scriptural view of marriage. And we started rubbing elbows with Christians who had really great marriages and started learning from them. And, and Lori and I, I, I just will be unashamedly say, Lori and I have worked really, really hard to have a great marriage. You see, how you see marriage shapes how you approach relationships. Marriage isn't this practical agreement. It's a spiritual covenant. And a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will be united by the power of God to become one flesh. And and in the beginning of the Bible, there there was a marriage in Genesis 1. And Jesus says in the last book of the Bible in Revelation, the relationship between God and the church, the body of believers, that there will be a, what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. When God unites his people together in a relationship with the holy God, it's a covenant as one who's now under the new covenant that we're not saved by our own works, but we're saved by the grace of Jesus. Marriage is, man, it is holy. And it is righteous and it is good. A marriage that is blessed by God is a bigger blessing than you could ever imagine. God wants you to be blessed in your singleness. He wants you to be blessed in your dating life. And he wants you to be blessed in your marriage. His standards are incredibly high. But man, the blessings are so worth it when you're chasing down his plan in your life. So if you would, pray with me. Hey God, thank you for the gift of marriage thank you for the gift of singleness god thank you for being a god who offers us a plan for how to live our lives that's the best way for us to live and god thank you for grace and your forgiveness when we when we sometimes stray off that path that you that you love us no matter what there's nothing we could do Um, to ever get outside of your forgiveness or your grace for us. So thank you for that gift. God, for the the people that are single in the room, just help them to live a God-honoring life. For those that may be dating, 
Same thing. Help them to live a God-honoring life. For those of us that are married, may, may we have strong marriages that honor you. God, the world is watching. May the world look into the church and see a group of people who are not perfect, who have, might have arguments or problems or whatever, but, but have strong marriages rooted in you. And may they desire that. May they, may they want to get closer to us to, to know and understand why our marriages work the way they do. Thank you for all that, God. Thank you for Jesus. Bless our week here as we, we leave this place. We love you and pray.